This is the podcast for January 13th, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live while waiting for our big Newt Gingrich ad buy, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Newt Gingrich never goes away. He's like the verdant spring. Or syphilis. He, he's been, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he, he just hangs on and hangs on and hangs on and at the end... End of time, there'll be roaches and Twinkies and Newt Gingrich just oh, man. rolling along into the Well, sunset. I don't know if there'll be Twinkies because Hostess <laughs> declared bankruptcy. So yeah. there may not be yeah. Twinkies, but there will be Newt. Yes, uh, there will always be Newt. There will always hiding, be Newt. Hiding from the, from the radiation under the shell of Callista's hair, which will protect him from all things. And, and I just <laughs> wonder, you know, I've, I've tried to find out. First of all, I think we've got a long wait for Newt Gingrich's ad buy, although we might be able to sneak one in there. I don't <laughs> know who's doing the accounting on that one. There's so uh, much do. money flowing through from, exactly. from that, that guy in Vegas. That, uh, But no one is talking about how much <laughs> the cable net news networks are making from this humongous ad buy and yeah. Romney's ad buys and, you know, Santorum's ad buys, that this is really why... We still have to talk about Newt Gingrich as if he's a real thing because he's going to fund our affiliates right up until the Olympics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He's political advertising is is this huge tentpole yeah. that keeps yep. the, And so they have to keep propping up whoever number two is mm-hmm. and pretending this is a, this is a this is a big fight and getting and, and thank God for Newt Gingrich, because once you you poke him with a sharp stick, he's good for another Two million dollars. Yeah. He'll just go and go and go and go, and he doesn't know the word restraint mm-hmm. <laughs> or compromise. And I don't think he ha- is capable of calming the hell down no. once you've no. he's gotten his crazy up. Nope. Um, but yeah, his funders. I seem to remember maybe two or three years ago. I'm not. I was poking around on this wonderful IRS site where you can look up the funders of various. 501c3 organizations and not-for-profits. And I looked up New Gingrich's, and it was top-heavy with gambling, mm-hmm. casino-owning billionaires. And so it's not like he doesn't know who these people are or this guy is. And it's not like he d- hasn't always had a gaggle of rich, skeevy, uh, marginal rich people shoving money at him. Yeah. Uh, you look at any of his – his uh, he and his wife's photos from their social events – and there's all there's always this little corner of a very kind of ill-fitting suits, way too much jewelry, uh, new money, rich guys, and that's where Newt gets his money from. And that's you know it, it's it, it has never been truer that following the money is the most important part has become the most important part of our politics. And the thing that Citizens United was designed to do was to make it impossible for you to follow the money. I, I was just looking back over um, Karen Tumulty. Reporting in 2011, just last year, Mm -hmm. and the American solutions for whatever the hell it was, Mm -hmm. the Newt Gingrich, another Newt Gingrich front organization. And in its heyday, the the article says, the group raised more money than any other such organization, collecting more than $52 million in its first four years. The group's donor database included more than 300,000 contributors who gave 200 bucks or more, although it had a number of wealthy benefactors, including casino mogul Sheldon Adelson, who provided $6 million. So this is not the first big-ass dump of money that 
casino mogul Sheldon Adelson has dumped on Newt Gingrich. Right, right. He's his sugar daddy. And yeah, yeah. There is it's absolutely has never been truer than it is now that if you want to if you want to understand who is pulling the levers, you have to know where the money comes from. Yep. And the object of Citizens United was a, of course, to give corporations preferential personhood over us flesh and blood carbon based life forms, mm-hmm. but b to make sure you absolutely cannot find out where the money's coming from. Yeah. Because yeah. if you found if you knew where this money was coming from, if you knew that the, the sleaze balls who were who were bankrolling these people. They, we'd burn this place down. Yeah. So yeah. let's not let's not mention the fact that the the front man for a bunch of a sleazy syndicate of God knows who is this plastic model named Newt Gingrich or this yeah. plastic model named Mitt Romney. Anyway, that, that's well, just, and I, I find it really interesting. The only thing that I'm looking forward to in the next three or four months in terms of politics is Stephen Colbert. <laughs> Moving to, down to South Carolina for the next ten days, you know. Yeah. He, and he, and pack money and talking about his pack and and really it's, it's making it too clear. Perfect. It is that he is from state. South Carolina and and he's out polling John Huntsman. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I I feel sorry for John Huntsman in a certain way because yeah. his daddy won't give him any more allowance money to run for president, or as I refer to it, the Edipac Rex. Yeah. Every presidential primary cycle, every presidential election has its has it feels weird. But this has a certain dreamlike quality to it that I don't think I ever remember experiencing, where the candidates are like something out of some really badly drawn Hanna Barbera cartoon. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. smack in the middle of all these little people scurrying around in their funny costumes saying this this stupid shit is this giant lumbering sack of money called Mitt Romney. And it's not really hard to figure out who's going to win in the long run because money always wins. Yeah. And Mitt has more money than anybody else. So it's interesting and amusing. And I, I certainly I, – I live in a country now where people live blog small Republican primaries, which is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. You know, the people are actually sitting up at night – Typing notes to each other about the the not only the results that are coming in but the coverage of those results. That to me is a degree of political involvement that is somewhat perverse and in which I participate. So yes, I'm a bit of a political pervert myself. <laughs> but the rest of the country isn't going to notice any of this shit. Well, I found it interesting that the guy from New Hampshire who was just an unnamed uh, voter saying <laughs> it looks like Romney's going to win the nomination and then lose the presidency. And I find that hard to believe. Uh huh. And it was as though he was waking up from the Fox News dream. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and not that I felt sorry for him, but I felt as though all of a sudden there's a human face on these people who have been mesmerized for a decade. Yeah. Well, certainly and, since 2009. Certainly yeah. since Barack Obama put his hand on the Bible. And stole the presidency out from under them using his clever Chicago gangster uh, Bill Ayers Kenyan tricks, his trickery, yeah. his Kenyan trickery, uh, and and single handedly destroyed the economy by going back in time and setting up supply side economics and bubbles in the, in the marketplace, which was genius of him to do. I would use my time travel powers for other things, but that's you know that's not me. That's why I'm not president. But these people have been absolutely 
hypnotized for 30 years, but really in a deep, deep REM sleep of hypnosis since Obama uh, was sworn into office. And the guy who they hate the most in the world, who who they have sworn a blood oath they would rather chew their arm off than vote for, is going to be their candidate. And he is being shoved up their ass one inch at a time by the people who always have and always will run the GOP. Mm-hmm. Rich people. Rich fuckers. That's who, who have decided that, yeah, it's all been cute. Your cute little tricorner hats, waving your little flags, and don't tread on me. That was really useful. Um, and you are all very, very uh, formidably useful idiots. But we're done with that now. Now we're going to move on to taking the country over for the people who really run this fucking thing, which are corporations. And since you people fell into a deep and passive sleep during the entire eight years when George Bush was fucking the country up because he had an R after his name, we figure you'll fall into an equally deep sleep because Romney will have an R after his name. You'll forget that you didn't like him. You'll forget that he's everything you hate. And you'll go back to hating brown people and immigrants and liberals and women, just like you've been programmed to do. So, yeah, we'll have to endure a lot of yelling and screaming and spittle and a lot of rage and occasionally a a Ron Paul surge that the media will very uh, obediently tamp down because everyone knows Ron Paul can't win because we're just not going to let him. So I was thinking about our entire focus on the Republican field, given that there is not any opposition in the Democratic field at all. Well, in there terms is. of can in terms of the candidacy, yeah, there's resistance, but there's not another candidate. And yeah. I was thinking about uh, a letter that you want you you emailed me and said I want to read this on the air, and I said I know I want to. Too. <laughs> well, then we have a we have a, an accord, don't we? We have an accord, and it's um, you're going to read it. It's from Eric in Mexico. <clears throat> Eric in Mexico. He's a retired Coast Guard Master Chief, uh-huh. and he asks us not to hold that against him. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, we don't. Yeah. Uh, we love our expat listeners, and we love our ex-military listeners. So do you want to go ahead and read sure. Eric's an excerpt be, from Eric's long email to us? And we appreciate his long email. We do. And we both read it, and it was very long, and it was very heartfelt. And this is an excerpt from it. And this is – frankly typical of a lot of the emails we get mm-hmm. yeah. from listeners who just want to have a conversation, share their thoughts, and uh, a lot of them are expats. A lot of them are Americans living abroad. A lot of them are military or ex-military. So here we go. And I don't care what you say. The Coast Guard's the military. Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah. no, actually, it, according to good libertarian theory, the Coast Guard is the purest form of military the best form of military a country can have because it literally is charged with protecting our borders and fishing people out of the water and saving lives. It's just about as clean as it gets. Eric writes, what do you do when the public institutions you've trusted betray you? Philip Berrigan said that if voting could change anything, it would be illegal. It's hard to argue with that sentiment when contemplating the way that money has bought our government. It's a totally rigged system in which voting certainly won't change much. That said, I still must say we should always vote for the lesser of two evils on the off chance that your vote might do some good. I keep coming back to that thought when I contemplate that what Obama has done and what Romney, Gingrich, Perry, Bachman, Santorum, Paul, or Huntsman, the seven dwarves, would certainly do were they to gain the presidency. It's kind of like deciding between a poke in the eye and a knife in the liver. 
there's really only one choice, even if that choice is quite unpleasant. I've said before, Eric, the choice is between having your pocket picked and having your head shot off. You know, it's they're both crimes, but one is qualitatively different and more more disastrous than the other. Occupy Wall Street, I'm continuing the letter now, has shown the way forward. They have shown clearly that persistent protest works. In recent times, nothing else has made such an impression upon the government and the public debate as they have done. The huge and virtually unreported anti-war rallies came and went without causing a moment's worry to the powerful interests. The Occupy movement bothers the establishment intensely. If you don't believe it, just look at the level of violence used by government to crush the occupiers. The rest of us must join the protesters. If you can't physically be there as an occupier, you can support in other ways, such as donating useful items or money by visiting and expressing support and by communicating that support to the government at all levels, local, state, and federal. Another thing you can do is to be skeptical of things you see on the U.S. media. These people are proven liars, and they play the same tricks over and over again, hoodwinking the public consistently. A perfect example is what's going on with Iran. This scenario is a virtual replay of what went on before the Iraq war, and it's going to work unless people wake up and stop it somehow. To sum up, in 2012, let's vote, yes, but first and foremost, let's all protest. I intend to do so, and I hope you will too. Thank you for that letter, Eric. And this past weekend, Driftglass and I uh, pulled our son, the 13-year-old, into the living room. (laughs) Yes, we did. Didn't we? Uh, he's working on a school project about the Chicago 7 trials. And we watched Tom Brokaw. We watched. <laughs> well, you did watch Tom Brokaw. There you go. Who's that, You're strange, at who's, that, who's that strange man talking about that faraway place? And we had to explain to him this is how news used to look. Yeah. And, and it was a, his History Channel documentary on 1968, yeah. which really glossed over everything in, in an effort to cover <laughs> everything in an hour. Yeah. Uh, but it did talk a lot about the Democratic National Convention mm-hmm. and the protests that went on. And, you know, I want to see occupiers at the Democratic National Convention this year. Yes, yes. I, I, I expect we will. I would like to see them, other, unlike 68, I would really like to see protesters at both conventions. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Because I, 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 I want outrage to be real and big and public but i don't want purists or i think uh, shock has a term puretopianists mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to shoot the rest of us in the foot yeah right right i would really rather not end well, up they should elect- be at both and and even though it's <clears throat> tampa is yeah. it tampa or tampa bay oh, the I- republicans are having their I don't know. Their convention in Florida. I don't care. It's somewhere down in Florida. It's. Yeah. I'm sure. You know. It's. I'm sure it'll be awesome. I'm sure the 500 foot statue of Ronald Reagan that yeah. will dominate the proceeding will 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 be the highlight of the social season. It'll be and like. As I've said Man. many times, Marcus Bachman is doing the choreography for the Reagan tribute, so it'll yeah. be awesome. Yes. Yeah. It's, so, it's but but I'd like to see occupiers right. there, and I hope that uh, there will be some contention over. Uh, platform arguments, particularly in relation to calling for Democrats in the Senate to reform themselves. P- 
politics tends to get focused on the guy on top, the man or woman on top. But let's face it, it's usually the guy on top. But the, the, the real problem is in the Senate and the House. Mm-hmm. As long as those institutions remain completely broken and and can be whipped around at the whim of a vocal and, let's face it, psychotic minority, we're screwed. It doesn't matter if Bernie Sanders were in the White House. I'd love it if you were in the White House. I'd love it if Dennis Kucinich had been elected to the White House. But put Dennis Kucinich in the White House with a – With this House of Representatives yeah. and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And with the Senate who – oh, we'll just filibuster anything. You, you want to put someone in, in – you want to put someone – appoint someone to the head of a commission, which we all agreed – we all voted into existence. We all agreed should exist. Granted, we didn't want to. But we have a consumer protection agency – that has been enacted by law as an agency. And well, they, would, they wouldn't uh, consent on the U.S. printer. Forget yeah. about this thing where they didn't even want that thing to exist. They would not uh, – he had to do a recess appointment for the printer uh-huh. of the money. So Because, because, because we're, and they we're gonna, just are obstructing everything. And we're going to hold the Senate in fake session. Yeah. We're going to bang a so, gavel yeah. and and – Jerk off for ten seconds and call it a day, and and pretend that that is the Senate in session. And when you try to override that, we're going to scream constitutional overreach and impeachment. And until these fuckers, frankly, are are driven back into the sewers from which they came, yep. we're stuck with this kind of government. We're stuck with the only way to get anything done is by presidential decree. Yeah, and that's why and I'm that calling inter- for a constitutional amendment <clears throat> abolishing the Senate. Yeah. <laughs> It's time. Because I'm just going, I'm going full. I know how extreme that is, and I know how yeah. ridiculous that is. But uh-huh. I want to go that far because then you get to compromise, and it, and that's the only way you can push back. You know, the compromise is going to be all right, all right. We'll we'll reform the filibuster rule to where you actually have to have 51 not to right. pass something. You know, rather right. than 60. And, well, and I was I was watching old. Old reruns of the West Wing from the 90s. <clears throat> and everybody was, there were two or three incidents where it was all about getting that 51st vote. Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't we celebrate until the 51st vote comes along? Because it doesn't really happen until then. I did go back through my archives while we were. Uh, while I was the, having the dishwasher repaired. Oh, you were having the dishwasher repaired, which is not code for anything. Just, no, no, it really you, is what I was doing. Yeah. We were upstairs repairing the dishwasher, <laughs> yeah, making sure the front loader is working just fine, if you know what I mean. <sighs> um, no, I, I did go back through my, through my archives and found from uh, May of 2009 uh, a little thing I did on New Gigridge, which I will read at the very top here, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. Just so you can clip it right off if it doesn't fit or isn't, isn't the uh, – No, but just the go po- ahead. The point I was making back in 2009 was Chris Matthews was being a douche and he was bagging on bloggers. And I, and I was really hacked off at the usual suspects all that long time ago. And my question was why in the fuck are the depraved ambulatory snafus and serial liars like Newt Gingrich – given a major media platform week after week after week. And why doesn't anyone anywhere have the balls to actually ask the son of a bitch anything remotely resembling a real question? This was three years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the answer is money. Yep. The answer is they have access. They have money. I don't have, you don't have, most bloggers I, don't, I know don't have anything like the infrastructure these guys have. And then I, I pointed out that there's a lavishly fronted, funded front organization called American Solutions for Winning the Future, which – 
if you go if you went into the IRS political organization filing and disclosure site, which is a wonderful site by the way, if and looked at the last couple of quarters for 2008, Newt Gingrich was was getting $57,000 from International Speedway Corporation. The Marcus Foundation, quarter of a million dollars. Frank Hanna, Worldwide Assets, $80,000. Sheldon Adelson, $2.9 million. Charles Schwab, $50,000. But he's not a lobbyist. But he's not a lobbyist, <laughs> mind you. This is and 2009. The, he's not even... Yeah. No, he's he's just out he's there hustling. He's doing squat. Yeah. He's, he yeah. Is, he is, he's doing what people like him do, which is... Sucker people, you know, very rich people into giving him money for access and for uh, you being able to lend his title and name to whatever crappy thing they're doing or because they believe in his crazy ass ideas. The point being that – and I, my final point on this post, which is, of course, the ongoing tragedy of American politics is bloggers I know have nothing remotely like that financial artillery at their command mm-hmm. because Newt Gingrich could pull in – Tens of millions of dollars doing nothing but being a con artist. Mm-hmm. Then right. turn right back around, talk about the Ground Zero Mosque, talk about – insult the crap out of the president of the United States in, in the most racist terms possible. Walk right over to his good friend David Gregory who will sit him down, put a camera in front of him, let him spout his bullshit, and Gregory will never ask him a single fucking question. And then two years later, he will magically transform himself through the miracle of, of Citizens United. And the way our politics is done from a paid beltway hack and lobbyist who's a friend of David Gregory and the rest of them to a presidential candidate who's a friend of David Gregory and the rest of them. And he'll just keep walking through this revolving door over and over and over again. But the same people who who invented this super PAC that now gives him the power to push back against Mitt Romney are the same fucking billionaires and millionaires who were giving him money two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, ten years ago. And it's a scam. And since it's, that money funnels then to yeah. the networks and their affiliates. Exactly. It's exactly. all good, baby. It's, it's good. all good. good. <laughs> and, and, and they all just float right above the actual tragedy and disaster that's happening in American life day to day on this giant cloud of money. And that's what keeps them safe at night. It's what keeps their kids in all the best schools. It's what keeps their futures secure. It's why Rand Paul will succeed Ron Paul because yeah. American politics is becoming ever more dynastic, as anybody in Chicago knows. And the reason is it's really simple. It's fucking money. And until the left starts You'll never spending, hear that anywhere but from bloggers. And that's no. why when you give $5 to a blogger, yeah. you're making a difference. Yeah. So and thank I, you for I, doing that. And that's not – I'm not trying to just make a pitch here. No. I, I, I'm to I, any I, blogger. I mean whoever you decide to support, not just us. But no. When Anyone you send five dollars to somebody who's out there telling this kind of truth, you're making. I'm just telling everyone, you're making a difference. It, and 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 write they, them. They're letter, not getting it from them. anywhere else. No, and and the, the simple truth is, I, and I bagged on that group pretty hard today in mm-hmm. in my in my little the Davos blog. liberals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. We are not talking about the rank and file, ordinary, uh, living paycheck to paycheck liberals that we know and who we are who send us five bucks when they can't afford it. Yeah, the, the uh, who, expats who, on a military retirement yeah, who, are, who send us five bucks, it just amazes no. me. We're not talking about those people at yeah, all. Yeah. If you're one of those folks, we're not talking about you. Yeah. What we're talking about is the is the 
is the massive asymmetry in the infrastructure between yeah. what the right has done with their money, yeah. which has spent for decades to build an entire uh, suite of religious organizations, media empires, political dynasties, and all focusing their firepower on one thing, which is destroying us. And us scattering our, our forces every which way, which there's lots of good causes out there. But but we don't seem to understand that while we are busy uh, going after this one thing or that one thing or, or one-offing everything and then restarting our movement every time a new problem comes up, they are focused like a fucking – Sherman tank. They're just grinding away, grinding away with one objective. Well, and that's it. The Koch brothers are not making any money off of Scott Walker. No. He's a loss leader. They're invest Exactly. They're investing in Scott Walker. Because Scott Walker is going to do for them what they want done, which is take down the government. They want all those unions and destroy public sector employment. And money, that kind of money. So I'm hacked off at rich liberals. The, the rich liberals that I know who live up in fucking Barrington, up in Wilmette, the rich liberals who kick it in Davos, the rich liberals who, who summer in Samaritz and who will not pay to match the rights long-term patient capital investment in their own infrastructure. Mm-hmm. There is no liberal regnery press. There is no liberal Fox News, whatever MSNBC thinks it is. There is no liberal right-wing radio. There's no equivalent. We've been playing catch-up for five years, and every time we get a little bit ahead, we fall apart or we start shooting each other or we forget the fact that these people want us dead. Mm-hmm. And they're focused on it like a fucking laser, and we're not. And the reason we're not is not because bloggers aren't dedicated. It's not because people aren't willing to live hand-to-mouth to make the world a better place. It's mm-hmm. the people who actually have the kind of capital that you need to build that infrastructure aren't doing it. Mm-hmm. And this is a theme that we both heard at Netroots Nation. Yeah. It was not just us. It was people sitting on panels going, you know what the, the number one problem with, with big money liberals is? They're cheap fuckers. Mm-hmm. They do not want to spend the kind of money that the right is willing to spend. And that's why we lose because money is patient. Not only to lose the kind of money that the right is willing to lose yeah. to win the to win the longer term war. Yeah, yeah. and I, get and I it. want to read the letter to my mom now. Please, oh no, and exactly. I promised this a is, lot of people that I was going to read the letter to my mom. This is the perfect segue. My mom's an artist, and she's a a good liberal. We're not going to remind anyone that she voted for Gerald Ford. Okay. No. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> we all have dark past. We all again. have dark moments. Uh-huh. I think she didn't want to vote for a Southerner, but that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah. But I talked to my dad last week, and I don't talk to my mom on the phone. She's not a phone person, but I don't talk to her that much. But I did talk to my dad last weekend, and he said, I'm not having any problem voting for Barack Obama over anybody else because they're all a bunch of scum. But uh, your mother, your mother's having a problem with Obama and the drones and the, you know, the whole Guantanamo and uh, detention all of which, thing. And, all of know. which are legitimate. Yeah. All of which are absolutely legitimate criticisms. So, Don't get us wrong. Uh, you, you need to write to your mother. And I sent you some stamps. Write to your mother. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he did. He said I, he even admitted that he was being completely passive aggressive because he put stamps in an envelope and mailed them to me with no comment. So, yeah. okay, I feel like I'm 18 again. But anyway... <laughs> I, so I did write a, le- a snail mail letter to my mother, but I saved a copy and because I wanted to read it to all of you as well. So I put at the top of the letter, I put a picture, a great picture of Barack Obama standing at the top of a hallway. And all of these little Head Start students looking up at him. 
And if you haven't oh. seen this picture, it's amazing. These little three-year-olds, three- and four-year-olds, preschoolers of every color, race, you know, they're just – and there's about 60 of them all sitting there, cute as buttons, looking up at President Obama. So uh-huh. I put that up there, and then I said, Dear Mom, Dad told me you're having a problem with the idea of voting for Obama. I get that. Guantanamo is still open and the drones and the indefinite detention thing, which actually I think has been a bit overblown, but I digress. I took the Obama bumper sticker off of my car, and unlike 2008, I won't be sending Obama 12 a $15 donation. I can limit my quote-unquote support of the president without flushing the whole country down the toilet with Romney or Santorum. Santorum, Mom! Which I put in all caps. <laughs> but I'm going to vote for Obama for several reasons. First is the faces of these Head Start kids in the picture above. Look at their faces. The future is right there, and we've got to ensure they've got only what Obama can give them. There are pictures of Obama all over the walls of the school where two of my kids attend. I think it's really important that our country make racial progress. The racism that Obama's presidency has brought out is so ugly and so invisible if we don't kick it to those racists that, yes, he is the president, and yes, he got reelected even after four years of birther nonsense. The birthers need to have their asses handed to them. If for no other reason telling the racists to go to hell is a good reason to vote Obama. Then there is the competition. Romney said this past weekend that the Supreme Court needed more justices like Roberts, Thomas, and Scalia. Scalia, Mom! (laughs) (laughs) All caps. Plus, he believes in... Plus, he, Romney, believes in economic creative destruction. Let bankruptcy of Detroit and millions of foreclosures occur, because we are disinterested observers of the market at work. The market will sort out the economy? Really? Romney is such an unfeeling bastard. I will vote against him, and that means a vote for Obama, even if I disagree with Obama on something as important as civil liberties. Finally, Fox News and Rush Limbaugh have made Obama into a conservative. I wish that were not the case, but he has had to walk to the right of where we would all like him to be so that he can avoid the most popular news network in the country showing a banner at the bottom of the screen that he is the food stamp president, the abortion president, and the Apologize for America president. I don't think I could show any reserve whatsoever in regards to their lies, but remember, I am not a black man who is the first black president. The first time he loses his temper, he's uppity and does not know his place. And a whole lot of low information racists have a reason not only to vote against him, but to shoot him dead. And you and I, as an aside, you and I watched this 1968 video Uh with Kid and the death of Martin Luther King and the death of Bobby and real... Tom Brokaw said something, and I usually don't quote Tom Brokaw, but uh, he had a woman on, I can't remember who it was, who said, you know, kids in 1968 thought that leaders got killed. Uh That that's how they ended their careers, was by being shot to death. Shot young. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
The paramilitary group stockpiling guns for the upcoming invasion of black people have exploded in number since 2009. Uh-huh. Pat Buchanan decried the, quote, death of white America in a published book promoted on Hannity. Hannity, Mom! <laughs> That'll get her. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We just can't afford to be guided only by our feelings about bad things. We have to be tough against the enemies of poor people, even if that means compromise on what we believe. I don't like that any more than you do, but I won't go back to the kind of government that puts Scalia in office for life and agrees with Hannity, Beck, and Limbaugh that Obama isn't a real American. I hope you'll give all of that your consideration. You're too good a liberal to sacrifice the Supreme Court and poor black children. This letter sounds like a blog post. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> and then I go and on so to say, came. the kids are doing well. I'm happily married. Everything's fine. I go on to newsy family information. So yeah. trail yeah. off there. But And I know a lot of our uh, listeners and correspondents are going to be really mad at that letter. Yeah. I get it. And I get it. It's It's a tough choice. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Uh, but... You you asked on your blog, at least in comments, you know, why aren't Bernie Sanders and yep. you know Kucinich primarying Obama? Why do there you was think a big, that is? <laughs> there was a big there, there was a very I, I, the single largest number of comments and uh, incoming uh, f- incoming angry traffic from mm-hmm. not from a particular source. If I get linked to I don't know Vanity Fair, traffic goes up for a day or two, and then it goes back down. But the single largest influx was when I said something mean about Glenn Greenwald. Mm-hmm. Not mean, but when I disagreed with him rather vehemently over a very with him specific publicly. Thing. Period. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, you just yeah, you disagreed with him. Yeah. Yeah, that's just thirty three hundred posts. I disagreed with Glenn Greenwald on one of them. I mentioned him on a dozen. I disagree with him on one or two of them, and I am suddenly a complete I'm a traitor, I'm a I'm a turncoat, I am I am a Obama bot. My readers everywhere who then come back in three weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's, bad it's really kind of funny. You can imagine. Yeah. Like that's, that's but that is, you know, as as you and I have said, and the, the phrase that you turned me on to, the narcissism of small differences. Yes. Yes. This is I have all this rage against r- really bad stuff that this president does, and I get that. And it, it really is like, wow, do you get how doctrinaire you have become? Mm-hmm. But, but the, the comment thread, this is why I keep comments open because people were bagging on me and they were, they were calling me names and I can, I can take it. Hey, you can't fire me from the internet. I'm not going away, mm-hmm. but I keep comments open specifically so that people can disagree with me if they want to and other people can disagree with them. And if it gets to be the violent overthrow of this or that, I'll delete that. But I'm pretty, I run a pretty loose ship over there, pretty, uh, pretty ruckus bar. But one of the one of the things that came to pass was uh, somebody should primary. You know, the 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 somebody should do something crowd. Okay, yeah. Substitute who and what in that yeah. sentence. Who well, exactly do you think should primary? And people were very upset that that even if they didn't win, it would yeah. it would be a disciplining moment for a prominent Democratic Party. A person, a prominent member of the liberal intelligentsia, to primary Obama just to force him back into onto a liberal into a liberal uh, glide path, or to to move him a little to the left or whatever. And 
that all sounds really delightful when you're sitting around sharing a bottle of scotch with someone at two in the morning, Mm -hmm. but it's just about the most infantile nonsense when you start thinking about the real politics of it. If you, first of all, look at the record of people, uh, look at the record of primarying uh, sitting incumbent presidents and look how well that's worked out. Yep. Pretty much every time. We have PTSD from doing that. And I'm, I would, you know, move to Massachusetts to work to volunteer for Ted Kennedy for Senate yep. after 1980. Yep. So, you know, I'm, I get it. Believe uh-huh. me, I've earned my street cred in that regard. But it has consequences. Yeah. Crippling a sitting incumbent president has consequences. It, it took down LBJ, and I'm, I'm sure that was a good thing, but it certainly took down LBJ. It took down Gerald Ford. Uh, it took down Jimmy Carter. Uh, uh, the, the heir apparent, uh, uh, Al Gore ran a terrible campaign, but having Ralph Nader in the race tipped that in in a very critical way. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't do those things. I'm saying that those things have consequences. And if you don't want to face those consequences, you have no business playing in the in the big leagues with the big boys and girls. Well, the and second I don't thing, li- can I just have a pet peeve here too, which sure. people say people who say the people at your blog who said somebody should primary yeah. Obama. Yeah. Didn't even have their own blog. Right. They just drove by. And Nor did they register at Blogger no. to put a name on their comment. It was just the laziest, you know, I'm anonymous, I'm going to be anonymous, and I'm going to type this from wherever I am. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but for you to say, for you to be an anonymous commenter at Driftglass and say, not no disrespect intended to your blog, but yeah. – an anonymous yeah. commenter at Driftglass telling the universe that somebody should primary Obama. Yeah, somebody for should you. step up. Yeah, for you, you on your behalf. You, you pussy. <laughs> yeah, I, I I blog I blog under a pseudonym, but you know who I am. You know how to reach me. You can you always know where get I'm at. to you. Yeah, we can I have get archives. To you if we need to get to you. Yeah, it's That's not like I'm point. I'm I don't disappear. Yeah. At, after I had published, You've I'm still there. You've got an email address where we can reach you, yeah. and I, I have you know, a it's not as if. You're not – you can go hide. You're not hiding. No. You're, you're anonymous, but you're not hiding. No. And I, I – other than one post in 3,300 posts that I took down mm-hmm. because a commenter said, you know, I think you should really think this, rethink this, dude, because I think you went too far with this. I agreed with him. Okay. I reread what I had written and said, you know what? That was over the top. That was irresponsible. Down it goes. Mm-hmm. The other 3,300 posts, I stand behind most of them. Some of them are, are really vicious. Some of them are, are loud. Some of them are full of fucks. But I will stand and defend what I said and how I said it under the circumstances of the time or even for all time uh, behind what I write. I, I do stand behind what I write. I don't scrub it and I, other than get, getting rid of typos and the occasional stupid transposition. But but my the other peeve was – that whoever is saying this clearly has no fucking idea how politics works. Because if you primary an incumbent president, you'd better be a billionaire or you'd better be ready to burn every political bridge you have. Because what happens when you go against the head of your party? And that's what Barack Obama is. He's the head of the Democratic Party. And, and he doesn't say that very often, but that's what he is. So if you want to go toe-to-toe with the head of the Democratic Party – in your own party, you'd better be ready to sacrifice a big chunk of your professional career from now until the future. And I don't, and I don't, do, I don't say that's something you shouldn't do. If you're standing on principle, go and do that thing. But, but to expect 
uh, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or Alan Grayson to say, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise the millions and millions of dollars I need, use up every favor I've got to put together enough money to sacrifice my political career to make a point for an anonymous blogger on a blog. Really? No, that's stupid. You don't run for president to make a point unless you're Ron Paul and you have that infrastructure under you and have been running for president for 30 years. Yeah. yeah, he has He's, he has people. So he ran as a libertarian twenty twenty four years ago. He's been running this same campaign with refinements for a quarter of a century. He's built up the infrastructure, and that's great. More power to him. I think he's nuts. And I think he's a racist, but more power to him. No, you don't amass. You don't run for president unless you believe, as I believe, I'm quoting Toby uh, from the West Wing correctly. Unless you believe you've been called by God. Yeah. Yeah. To that only you, you have that kind of hubris, or else you will not be able to handle the power that you are going about to be given as the most powerful man on earth, or certainly one of them. You don't run for president on a fucking whim. You know, Tom Friedman might think you do that, but people who live in the real world and don't have a billion dollars to throw around for fun don't run for political office on a whim. They run for really deeply principled reasons. And I asked the people who were saying, you know, somebody should fucking primary him just to show him, just to make a point, to ask themselves, why the hell? Okay, I agree with you. All these people are very worthy. Um, there are lots of really good people in the Democratic Party. I respect a great deal. Al Franken's one of them. Um, Alan Grayson's one of them. There's a whole bunch of them. So, anonymous commenter, why the hell do you think none of them are primarying Barack Obama this year? Why do you think? Go down the list of reasons why these good people who you believe in your heart should sacrifice themselves for you and ask yourself, are they just bad? Are they frauds? Or do they know something you don't know? Are they professionals operating in a grown-up game that you clearly do not understand? Or are they just part of the conspiracy, man? They're just part of the problem. Because those are your two choices. Either Elizabeth Warren and Alan Grayson and Russ Feingold <laughs> are yeah. all secretly Obots. Who, who I would love to see president of the Fuck United yeah. States. You know? Seriously, who wouldn't? But I don't live in, in in that particular alternate universe. I live in this universe, which is full of really bad choices. But there are differences between a, a, a very bad choice and a catastrophically tragic choice. And part of what comes with primarying an incumbent president is you risking – Taking down your party and becoming the, the a pariah for the rest of your political career. Because if you don't win, if you weaken them just enough to let the other guy take the White House. You're Ralph Nader. Congratulations. You're over, yeah. Your fucking career yeah. is over. And if you're willing to do that, more power to you. But it's that kind of flip, ignorant, um, deeply felt passionate. I, I understand the passion behind it. I understand the, the frustration with the system not moving the way it should and not behaving the way it should and not reflecting your principles as it should, especially when you voted for the guy yeah. and he turns his back on you on things that you think are really, really important. I agree with that. What I don't agree with is that you can't be childish when it comes to adult matters. You have to put away childish things. Well, and, and the, the commenter at your blog that said what was it, the, the Monty Python joke about the People's Front of Judea versus the Judean People's Front? Yeah, yeah, and splitter. It, and, you, splitter. and you and I said that the narcissism of small differences is why the Swedes hate the Norwegians. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's they have too much in common. Yeah. And when liberals fight amongst themselves, it's <laughs> – yeah. I don't know. I was saying that when, when David Frum 
and um, Sully were having that fight. I'm like, there's nothing uglier than a lesbian divorce. You know? Yeah. It's kind well, of like the two that have so much in common and so many common principles, yeah. and they have a disagreement, and it's so important that the person who is so like them come over and yeah. that, you know and jo- rejoin the Borg. <laughs> you know, I'm using yeah. too many analogies here, but it really is uh, hard for liberals to disagree with each other. What's what's Rome ever done for us, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Well, roads, education, wine. Yeah, I like the wine. Yeah, yeah. So before you throw it all away, look at what you're throwing away. And and I am just as capable of driving by and snarking at somebody and moving on as anybody else is on the internet. That is what the internet's for, as far as I can tell. But but seriously, think about think about. I hate to say this, but think about the consequences of doing that. And if at the end of that uh, thought. If at the end of that process, you come to the conclusion that it's worth crashing the whole system and making things yeah. much, well, there much, are much anarchists worse. in our ranks, and I get yeah. that too. You know, yeah. well, you know, I, I, and, just, and I, are, I agreed to abolish the Senate in this very podcast. You did. <laughs> by peaceful means, by constitutional amendment. Yeah. But if if you really believe, and this is a this is a this is a, a truly ideological position, it's an honest. I, I profoundly disagree with it, but there is an honest ideological case to be made. Or an honorable one to be made that the only way to fix the system is to completely crash everything right, yeah. and start over. Yeah, yeah. And to have a revolution, blood in the streets, broken eggs everywhere, and then you rebuild it from scratch because the system as it exists is so hopelessly corrupt, it cannot be salvaged, and the only way to fix it is to destroy it. Except there are people who are much better at destroying the system and living in chaos and living in the disaster after you've crashed the system than you are. Yep. You're not prepared to be a little Nazi. My liberal friend. And there are people out there, industrialists out there, waiting in the wings to crash the system specifically because they want to get rid of the last vestiges of liberal culture. Yep. And, and there's not going to be a power vacuum at the end of that. Social Security and Medicare <clears throat> and crash the system in yeah. order to have more for them. You're listening to the Professional Left Podcast, professionalleft.blogspot.com. Drift Class, in closing, uh-huh. <laughs> um, we got another letter in the P.O. Box today that you haven't seen yet. It's oh, from... I'm in mean, faraway uh, Chicago. You're yeah. in Chicago. It, it's from Frank <laughs> in Michigan. And hey, Frank. I, I thought I would read it and get your reaction to it. You're reading it to me cold. Haven't read it yet. Yep, Could you haven't be. seen it at all. Yeah. No, so I can't... I don't have my Karnak hat on or anything. <laughs> I'm just going to leap right in with my limited vocabulary and... All right. Go with it. All right. Dear Drift Glass and Blue Gal, I enjoy your podcast in part because of your trenchant optimism about our political system. Despite all the problems you identify, the corporate control of the media, the dishonesty of right-wing politicians, the venal opportunism of moderates, the sludge-headed naivete of vast swaths of the electorate, you keep on keeping on. You admirably pour your lives into trying to make a difference hoping that the true believers on the right will eventually die off and the country can be salvaged. So I listen to you and feel encouraged to hope, too. But it doesn't last long. Ultimately, I'm much less hopeful. Uh Deep down, I don't think the right wing will ever come to its senses. I don't think there'll ever be a shortage of Fox bots because they keep making new ones. 
I don't think we'll ever return to the relatively more civil and reality-based politics of the post-World War II years, when workers made a decent living and the proceeds of labor were not vacuumed up by the financial class. Actually, those years were probably a historical aberration. The people treated relatively well because it was important that they not revolt and that they fight in the war. We are becoming less necessary now, no longer needed as soldiers, no longer needed as workers, and eventually no longer needed as consumers. As soon as a domestic consumption can adequately be taken over by the 1%, the vast majority of Americans will be superfluous. It will be a Herculean task, but the rich are getting ready for it. The ever greater diversion of wealth to the already wealthy has continued even during the recession, which they regard simply as a buying opportunity. It is only a matter of time. I think our best hope is to rethink the Civil War. <laughs> is secession <laughs> really that wrong? Was preserving the Union really the right choice? Probably it was, from the standpoint of millions of black people. But apart from that, a constitutional amendment supporting the right of secession would have untold benefits. The most important would be quelling our domestic discord by splitting our uncivil union. Our country is like a bad marriage with warring partners who fight about everything and will never agree about anything other than their loathing for each other. We fight about who spent too much money, who betrayed the original accord, how to deal with the neighbors, where to bury the trash, when to turn off the lights of science, and who's responsible for the mess. The disputants cannot talk with each other civilly about anything, and they mock each other in public. They still feel stifled by each other. Excuse me. They feel stifled by each other, blocked by the other from living the life they feel would set them free. It's getting worse and worse. The only solution is divorce. Maybe there could be a trial separation, but who really thinks that there's any chance of reconciliation now, after all the disappointment, heartache, bitterness, and bile? Driftglass said it well. We cannot live half fox and half free. So yep. let the fox half go their way and let the free half <laughs> Go ours. I have enclosed a modest contribution so that you may keep hope alive for those still capable of hope. I, however, am resigned to a breakup, and the most that I can allow myself to pray for is that it be peaceful, if not amicable, and that we can then allow each other to construct our lives and our societies in the way that fits us best. Frank, uh, before you respond to the letter the the only thing that really jumps out at me that i want to i want to make sure gets mentioned is um his claim that we lived in a more civil and reality based politics in the post world yeah. war 2 years yeah. uh that was <laughs> you can ask julius and ethel rosenberg yeah. if if we lived in a in a more civil and reality based world then yeah. uh we really didn't as long as you leave out all the black people, then all yeah. All the black people and the com- oh. the people that were claimed to be communist. All the women, the, all know. the minorities, yeah. all Jews, yeah. Jews, Catholics. Communists. Anybody who wasn't white suburban yeah. Um, yeah. A, a Christian. Yeah, yeah. Then yes. And and even within those communities, women. Uh, there was there – was <laughs> We could talk I mean, about women then too. Well, there was there – was, there, it was more courteous. Mm-hmm. There was a, a thriving – it is absolutely true. There was a thriving black um, subset, a fully, if you will, um, vertically integrated black community on the south side of Chicago, for example, under segregation because they had no choice. 
And so you people who are forced together by legal requirements, whether it's inside of a, a prison camp or if it's due to slavery or segregation or something else, people will always form communities. Mm-hmm. They always will. Yeah. And, and those communities will sort of resemble one another if they come from a Western European sort of American background-ish kind of, kind of uh, model. Uh, not side-by-side identical, but um, we form communities. That's what people do. That's what makes me hopeful. Over the long course of history, over the 10,000-year course of history, things have gotten better. There have been huge fallbacks and massive plagues and destruction and war and all those things. All that is true. You know, we've gotten much better at killing each other in large numbers, and that's true. But over the long arc of history, things have gotten better. Things that we have invented things that never existed. We've gone places we never went. And there's no way to know whether or not it was all worth it until 10,000 years from now. We can look back and say, yeah, they, they came awfully close to screwing it all up. They pulled it out because of blah, blah, blah. We just have to muddle through it. But everybody muddles through it. The people who were living through the very worst days of the bombing of Britain, I don't think believed that things were getting better, but they had something to hang on to. The people who were living through the depths of the depression did not think, wow, this is, I'm sure, I'm sure we bought in about now and now things are going to get better. No, they just slogged through because that, that's what people do. However, I did take a few notes, if you don't mind, Blue no, Gal. Go right ahead. Uh, the first thing I would say is that I don't think divorce will work because the right will never leave us alone. They need us. They need somebody to hate very badly. And they will invent enemies, either internal or external, and they will will raise them up to become monsters and then attack them. Um, We did this with al-Qaeda, frankly. We did this with the Taliban. There was a small group of militant people in a small beaten-up country – 10,000 miles away, and we turned them into our American imagination, our neoconservative American nightmare imagination, turned them into a global Bond villain with superpowers and and tentacles that extended everywhere because that's all we knew how to fight. We did the same thing with communists. During the years when communism was was collapsing, neoconservatives like Dick Cheney and Paul Wolfowitz and um, Don Rumsfeld were inventing fantasy weapons and fantasy systems and fantasy um, uh, internal enemies so they could have someone to fight, to hate. That's a, that's a sort of standard Leo Strauss neoconservative doctrine. You need to invent an enemy, and we will always be their enemy. So it doesn't matter how far away we are from them. We can draw a big bright line right down the middle of Jesus land. They're still going to hate us, and they're still going to – then we're still stuck with each other with a, at least a common border. Um, and that's because – Part of the reason is they pray to a false god. Mm-hmm. And we we are existentially terrifying to them because we deny that their god is true. They actually pray to uh, – they're polytheists. <laughs> you want to know the yeah, truth? Yeah. They pray to a lot of false gods. But one of the false gods they pray to is the 2.5 child suburban nuclear family, the white Christian conservative nuclear family. And they pray to that god – and they, they have a nostalgia for a period when, when we were at, in many ways, I agree with Frank in this respect, our high watermark, post-World War II prosperity. 
um, endless boom and endless prosperity as far as the eye can see. But there were a lot of factors in there that conservatives don't like to talk about, like World War II had wiped out all of our competition and had simultaneously created a great pent-up demand for manufactured goods, which only we could really supply. So we were going to get rich and cheap energy and cheap natural resources and a relatively well-trained workforce and an industrial base that had been geared to mass production during wartime and American ingenuity and American generosity. These are the, you know, we, we did in fact rebuild Europe through the Marshall Plan. So it's not like we were, we were nothing but Bane capitalist, um, vultures. We did good in the world. But, and of course, strong labor protection and all those yeah. other things that, that, uh, that the right doesn't believe exists. But from that mixture of, of factors, we were able to create a suburban culture that prized mobility, over small town, large family in a small community model, which had been the model, sort of the rural model for life in the United States, life throughout the world for, for centuries, for millennia. We, t- we created, uh, not completely our own invention, but we created the small, modular, mobile family that could be plucked out of one city and set down in another with a minimum of, of fuss and muss. Interchangeable houses, interstate highway system, etc. That broke all the social bonds that made it possible for people to fail and come back. Um, the, the small town life that permitted an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or a neighbor that you had known for generations to look after your kids, for example, that was, we sacrificed a lot of that for prosperity and mobility. The problem with that, the problem with creating families on the, on that along with those blueprints is that that family, that particular specific kind of family, that 2.5 child family where mom stays at home and dad works is incredibly unstable. It cannot survive a, an economic shock. Right. Which is like exactly what happened. 1973. Right. Exactly. So yeah. you had the oil shock in the 70s. And after you had a, a, an economic shock, you, you suddenly found that families could no longer sustain themselves with one income because the nuclear family is a family that's sweated down to its absolute basics. If you think of a family as a machine, the, the machine that is the family needs to do two things. It needs to sustain itself economically and it needs to perpetuate the next generation. That is all that it needs to do to be defined as a family. You're talking Whatever. about functionality there. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not talking Pure about morality, right. religion, love, etc. Those are all incredibly important things. But as a functional unit, a family can only survive if it can protect itself economically and sustain itself and it can project itself into the next generation. If you don't have kids, that's fine. You, you're, 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 Job is over as far as it goes. It means you're not a family. It means you've accomplished that by simply not having children. But it has to do those two things. And once it becomes impossible for a family to sustain itself with one income, with a single income in a, in a, in a suburban community with no relatives, no friends, no social attachments, then you have to outsource all the things that a family does. You have to have daycare. And you have to have handymen come in. And you have to have all the things that you normally would have had just as a part of your community life become commodities. And families, once that happens, once that, that stress becomes critical, and it com- becomes critical very fast, there's no support system. Mm-hmm. There's no grandmother or aunt or uncle or, again, friends you've, you've known for three generations to take care of your kids, to watch out for your, each other, to feed you when you're hungry. 
Uh, and so that family disintegrates incredibly fast. And from that, you get a lot of social problems. So we didn't – the one point, the 2.5 nuclear – child nuclear family suburban white Christian model did not create our prosperity. It was a product of our prosperity. But we, we've, we've got it all backwards. We pray to that image of the perfect life and just keep insisting that if we just keep doing things that they were doing, imitating them like cargo cults, if we just prayed harder, if we just hated harder, if we just kicked poor people harder, if we just pushed harder on that model, eventually it will all come back and we'll all live in that world again. But we're not – that's never going to happen because the, the factors that created that world are gone or they've changed. Now, it's an admirable thing to want a, a prosperous, stable middle class. But if that's our goal, then we have to decide how we can best accomplish that with the tools we have now, not the tools we had 50, 60 years ago. And that's a discussion the right does not want to have. And I think the right also gets it backwards in terms of – the economic stability led to the leisure time and the uh, the sense actually of isolation in the suburbs yep. that led talk, people talk to, more seek, about that. to seek community in the church. Mm-hmm. And so you'd go to church in order to meet people, in order to get along with people that looked like you, and you were part of this sort of religion that you went to church on Sunday – didn't necessarily mean you were religious the rest of the week, but you were looking for community and friendship in a very isolated situation where exactly dad worked in the city, you were in the suburbs, you were alone all day, you needed friends, you needed people around you, mm-hmm. and so you went to church. Yeah. And the right sense to look at it as A then B rather than – or they look at it as B then A, that – because everyone went to church, we had all of this economic stability, mm-hmm. and that's just upside down. It's completely wrong, and 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 there's some really deep, basic human needs yeah. that don't get met yep. when you have bet your entire society on a on a uh, fairly alienating, fragile model like a long nuclear commutes. family yeah. with long commutes in in a in a distant suburb far away from. The traditional familial community yeah, roots yeah. that that human beings have been genetically wired to need, and They're then not going to get nostalgic that. about that either, because the no. '30s were just as disruptive. Oh I mean, yeah, I think no. we, human beings have been human beings forever. Yeah, and, <laughs> and there keep, have been political upheavals, and there have been people oppressing other people, yeah. and in every stage of history, you read Howard Zinn, and you can see that. Oh, absolutely. Oh no, no, yeah. and and I I really. On my darker days, I don't think this, but on my happier days, I really do think that this is just about the best time to be living in human history. Mm-hmm. This is just much more interesting, much more lively, much more things going on, much more possibility of talking, communicating with oh, people and Drew ideas. Glass, excuse me, but Drew, talk, sure. talk just for a second, and I'm not trying to take you there, uh-huh. but talk for a moment with Frank and with all of us about, <laughs> about your darker days because we all have them. Yeah. And I don't want to be a Pollyanna about – Politics or about the uh, oppression, particularly the economic situation that people are no. having now. It's horrible. No. Um, we are not trying to paint an overly rosy picture no. for anyone. We no. are optimistic because we want this to be a better place, and that's what we've signed up to do. 
uh, is make the world a better place. We're both into that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so we're not going to give up because that's we feel a sense of mission about that. I'm not trying to be religious about it, but I think you and I do both feel absolutely um, a sense of mission. And when I get all upset and say we have to do this and we have to do that, make it a better place, and you put your arm around me and say, I know I married the right one. <laughs> well, and, and the. the- <laughs> The, the the hard you know what is that the saying I don't want knowledge I want certainty yes right you know, we being a liberal means you don't get certainty yeah you don't get to have a uh, you know, I hate to be really generic and that's really unfair to to liberal Christians and really to, to anybody of faith but there's just a, a lot of people who need a book full of rules to tell them this is how you live and if you just believe this book absolutely everything else you don't have to worry about another thing. And come what may, they have that sense of rock solid certainty. I have relatives who know for a fact that when they die, they're going to heaven, period. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. I don't know if there's a life after this one or not. I don't have that certainty. What I, what I, so I cannot, I have too much, I have too much, um, book learning in me. Mm-hmm. I have too much, I've looked at the world too much. I am too much of the world to ever pray to the f- same false gods as my conservative friends and colleagues do. Well, you're I also do not-, not an idolater, and a lot of what happens with that sense of yeah. certainty in one book is they're actually idolizing yeah. the book rather than thinking further about God. Because and they God. sift through it looking for the, the little slivers. I, I ran across this blog yesterday, and, and there was this guy, and I don't even want to dwell on him too much, because it was just a, a, a thing I saw as I passed through, but he was ranting on about the parable of the talents, oh, which yeah. is this one story in the Bible, one story I believe in the New Testament that talks about slaves getting gold and, and doubling their money. And, and it was essentially, no, no, Jesus was a capitalist because of this one fucking parable. Yeah. First of all, dude, you don't know what the word parable means, obviously. Secondly, you don't know that he's speaking in a metaphor. You don't understand that Jesus was not a CEO. But, but, and I can't, so they have an answer to every one of their uncertainties, which is you just have to interpret the book in a way that is favorable to your biases and prejudices and so <laughs> forth. I, on the other hand, can't pray to the false god of a suburban life in the 1950s. I don't believe in it. I can't, I can't believe that if we just pray harder and blame liberals harder, things are going to get better because I know that's not true. So there's something in the Bible about narrow is the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this Broad is the narrow the path. narrows the way that leads yeah. to salvation. Yeah. yeah, this is you know, we liberals, even especially I should say atheists, that was walk that narrow path because we don't know the future. The future is not guaranteed, and the present sucks, and our enemies are many, and the people, even our friends, sometimes throw banana peels in front of us. So on my darker days, <clears throat> um, I think we'll lose. I think we're, I think the country will fall. Slowly, because we're a big country and we fall slow. I think that the darkness will sweep over us, that and we won't even notice. It'll happen so slowly, uh, so easily, so naturally that that things will just slip away. Whole parts of the country will just go away. We won't talk about Detroit anymore. We won't talk about New Orleans anymore, and we will elect crazier and crazier people who just keep doubling down on the lunacy, and we will keep. More and more money will keep pouring into the system and people will keep buying politicians who will abolish every safety regulation, every labor law, every act of civilization going back to the Enlightenment will be repealed by people who hate civilization, who hate a tolerant 
society who hate the vision of a shared prosperity by a people living in a peaceful land. Because there are rules that say you get to take my shit away and do shit I don't approve of or don't want or won't benefit me directly, and I think that sucks and that shouldn't be, and that's a that's a terrible well, society. The other, the other part of that too is globalization, yeah. and this idea that he talked in the letter about uh, the the one percent will buy everything. That's not the case. It's no. the fact that the markets have, as Mitt Romney would say. The markets have moved overseas. Mm-hmm. Indians are buying cars. Chinese are buying cars. Pakistanis are buying cars. And mm-hmm. using coal and becoming consumers uh-huh. in ways that we did 50 years ago, yep. 60 years ago. Yeah. And they want their – they want the American dream. They do. They do. Well, I, I think Jefferson said something about it would take 100 generations. I might be getting this wrong by – I don't know, some some number, but 100 generations to essentially populate and use up the continent. No, mm-hmm. we did it in much less than that yeah. because we created a culture where and, – and every if – you, if you look at what – and this is, this, is the, this is the Faustian bargain one makes with the false god of a conservative Republican vision, which is every Republican believes we should just use everything up oh, faster. Yeah. Newt Gingrich. You know? Absolutely. What we need to do is burn everything. Yeah. Burn all the fucking oil. Burn, burn all more. the coal. Yeah. Burn it all. And and what he's saying to the 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 uh, septuagenarian and octogenarian old white voters who are nostalgic for the fifties for for good reasons and bad is that I will guarantee you a comfortable funeral. Yeah. You will never have to you, you will never have to be inconvenienced until the day you die. And what happens after you're dead? What the fuck do you care? Yeah. Don't worry about it. I'll get you to your grave in a nice barca lounger with, yeah, with central air on. and a big yeah. plasma TV and you'll and it'll be thirty two cents a gallon for gas. You can drive your SUV wherever the fuck you want and you'll drop dead and that'll be that. And they're like that's that is the most That's um, what I want. Yeah. Realistic <laughs> um yeah. It, it, it's beyond greed. It's nihilism. It's yeah. I don't care if the world burns as long as I get to roast marshmallows on it. Yeah. And that's the appeal of the Republican Party because what they say is either – and when all of these chaotic forces are unleashed, the marketplace will somehow make everything right. Or once these chaotic forces are unleashed, God will make everything yeah. all right. Yeah. And there's just enough clowns in this country who are desperate enough or stupid enough or soulless enough. To buy into that vision, to take us all down together, and that's my. Those are my darker days. Is that we lose, and and I get to go to my grave being Cassandra. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was, uh, you know, Jesus. You know what? What on my tombstone? Whatever, whatever it'll be made out of, probably uh, a bunch of plastic bags tamped together with uh, cigarette burns on it. Something like, you know, at least I was right all along. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, I told you so. Told you so. I told you so. Um, and that's and, – and, and you see that in, in, the, um, in the way that the right reinvents its own history. Um, the last thing I'll say about this is, is libertarians specifically. Um, libertarians are, are – this iteration of libertarians are what, what I call firefly, firefly confederates. And everybody take a drink now. Because the, the marvelous TV series Firefly was essentially the uh, defeat of the Confederacy and the Reconstruction period without the slavery. You got to have all the nobility and all that, the, the folksiness and all of the outlaw mentality and all of the, 
bravery in the face of overwhelming odds and an intrusive state that has won a war and now wants to push you around without any of the underlying causes that existed in the American Civil War. And that's what libertarianism wants to be. It wants to pretend states' rights has no ugly history. It wants to pretend that interposition and nullification were not ugly words used by terrible people to oppress and and destroy and cripple and enslave an entire group of people in this country. They, they want to pretend that we weren't a bunch of fucking fascists when we kept or, slaves. As oh, Stephen Colbert says, they want to pretend the help was a documentary. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and – as long as we all can drink from different fountains, as long as we can all get our news wherever we want to, as long as it's a commodity, as long as history is a commodity, and I'd, I'd rather pay you a little bit more for you to tell me that it was always good, that I'm a patriot and not a bigot, and I, I'm, I'm a common-sense, liberty-loving American and not a moron, as long as there's a source I can go to that will tell me these things – and never ever trouble my tiny little mind over the fact that that believing those things have horrifying consequences. We're in for trouble, yeah. Because you're, you we're going down. And a there's path. no geographic division no. where no. we it can succeed because it they has live next thoughts. door to you. They do. It, it is now in the air. Yeah. It's now yeah. uh, mnemonic. Yeah. And so that dream no, is not going to happen. No. And so we need to. And, and our political system, especially in the last two to four years, has shown that there's no making peace with these people. Yeah. They want it all. They think compromise is a filthy word. You know, Barack Obama promised them 10 to 1 cuts. I don't think that was ever going to happen. But just as a bargaining position, what about 10 cuts to social programs yeah. for every dollar? Fuck you, no. They want it all. And they believe they have either a God-given right for it, to it all or a, a – uh, or a market-driven right to it all. They believe that we are the enemy and we are standing in the way of their destiny. We, we're standing in the way of them being able to have that 2.5 child suburban home forever. I want to and add s- one thing to that, and that yeah. is that there are people at church. The church that I attend is a United Methodist church, and we're all about making the world a better place. There's, it's all about feeding people and not expecting them to convert. We're really into dinner groups for homeless kids and giving coats and sweaters to poor children and really helping everyone in the community and in the world. It's really – that's what it's about, and that's why I'm there in part. Um, But there are Fox News watchers (laughs) who go to that church, and a couple of them have been – openly hostile to me and passive aggressively hostile to me and those people I have had to avoid mm-hmm. and I've talked with the pastor about it and said you know I've, I'm sorry but I, there's some people I can't talk to and I, I feel bad about that and and he looks at me and just says well how will you survive <laughs> and I say well I don't know <laughs> somehow you know and and we we laugh and he prays for me and that's great uh there are other people with whom I know that they are Republicans who listen to Hannity and watch Fox News, but we don't discuss politics. Yeah. And we work for, uh, you know, knitting hats for the homeless, or yeah. we do a uh, canned food drive, or we do something else together that helps cancer patients, or people who've lost a spouse. We There's a lot of different kind of what they call ministries, but it's really just hands-on, let's get some food in the hands of some people who don't have food, period. 
That's what it's yep. about. And I think about <laughs> Socrates. <laughs> really? Drinking hemlock? And, <laughs> no, Socrates oh. and his wife Santippe, who was wow. a shrew. And he told his students that I keep her around. Why don't you put her away? Why don't you lock her up and put her off on an island somewhere? You have the money. And he says, she is a discipline for my philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And wow. I learn patience from her. Yeah. I learn long-suffering from her. Mm-hmm. I learn to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> you know, I learn that n- it doesn't have to matter what I think all the time if my yeah. hands are doing good. Well, and you know what? That's a really good out uh, mm-hmm. for hopefulness since that's yeah. what we're in, yeah. in the business of doing. I also have been involved for many years in a couple of organizations that seek to make the world a better place by strengthening our economy mm-hmm. and rebuilding our prosperity and our middle class. And I, I'm going to be very delicate about phrasing because I, I, I want to, I don't want to leave too many breadcrumbs back to my real identity. <laughs> your your day job too. Yeah. My, when, my day when, job, which I don't have a job, job but yeah. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be a job again uh, someday very soon. I'm hoping uh, some iteration of it, but I helped found a couple of organizations that do this work and, and it, they're explicitly set up to be nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. Not, beca- not because we don't fight like dogs about lots of other issues, but we found these couple of issues on which we can all agree. Mm-hmm. And so the, the general rule of thumb is every part of this organization, whether it's the executive committee or any of the subcommittees or any, or any part of it, all interested members who are interested, all, representing all interests, have to be represented at all committees. Mm-hmm. And that that the common good is to rebuild and grow this portion of our economy in a way that makes everybody work together, makes everybody happy, meets everyone's economic needs. I don't want my business to go out of business. You don't want to lose your job. Mm-hmm. We have a common interest in making sure that business doesn't fail. I would like to stay in the community. You would like to run your school. We have a common interest in making sure that our tax base is sufficient so that you can run your school and you produce young citizens who can come to work for me who know what the hell they're do- talking about and have a decent education. Yeah. It's a do very long division basic, to do what exactly. I need to do right in it's my a, factory. Right, well, right. Exactly. It's, it's a very utilitarian approach to problem solving and, and – we again we disagree bitterly over lots of things, but the rule is, once the gavel comes down, if you're if you're a skeptic, or rather if you're if you're just a, a uh, cynic, if it's fuck you, this will never work. I've seen this tried a dozen times; it's never going to happen. Then there's the door, get out. Mm-hmm. But if you're a critic, if you're an honest skeptic, and you say this portion of our government or our education system or our economy doesn't fucking work, it's broken, and unless we fix it. This shit's never going to work, and I really want it to work, but I really have, have grave doubts as to whether or not the entrenched bureaucratic or political interests that make this thing fail can ever be overcome. I say, hey, we found the head of that committee. Yeah, I was going to say, you found an ombudsman. 
absolutely. <laughs> fucking, that's the that's the man or woman I want yep. running yep. that show. Yep. And it's it's so and in that little tiny place, this little terrarium, we have found a way from time to time to do a little good, to work together, to see each other as mutually interested human beings as opposed to hostile political parties, mm-hmm. and positions thaw enough. So that occasionally we can have a drink without it turning into a bar fight. Yeah. And that's a, that's, you know, for, that's a really hopeful sign to me. Yep. Because it is, it is appeal, an appeal to someone's self-interest, but not their, not their exclusively nihilistic, I want it all and fuck you, nihilistic interest. Yeah. And appealing to someone's rational self-interest who has an interest in the good of his community, uh, is a good place to start for finding a little hope when it comes to working together and solving our problems. And thank you very much for your letter and contribution, Frank. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do. Speaking of that, Speaking of that how about we segue out of here? <laughs> we have an app on the iTunes store. It's called the Professional Left app, and it has access to both our blogs, our Twitter streams, our podcast, and any bonus podcast uh, that we do from time to time. Like the one we posted today? You well, mean? That, no, that's on YouTube, and that yeah. was just a skit. But it was kind of funny. Yeah. It's at your blog, and it's at my blog. Yeah. If people want to watch it, you should go, there now, you should go it there now and check it out. Yeah. <laughs> on the, go on your app, and you'll see it. <laughs> we uh, are on Facebook, and also both of us are on Twitter. You can reach us all of those ways by going to our blog, which is professionalleft.blogspot.com. There are links to everything. We... Uh, Ask, oh, by the way, if you buy the app, we ask that you rate the app if you get one. We would really appreciate that. You can email us at proleftpodcast at gmail.com or, like Frank, you can write us at our P.O. Box, which is P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. At our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, you can listen to us for free with no download and no registration. And you can also contribute to our podcast. And I especially want to thank uh, one of our contributors who wrote to us and said, My Friday Evenings, News Hour, Washington <laughs> Week, and DGBG. <laughs> <laughs> and I save you the best for last. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you. And we're, <laughs> I was going to say we're glad to be in that company, but, you know, watching David Brooks on News Hour is sort of, what what you do for work? So. It's a it's a busman's holiday, my you friend. Have to do it. Every Look time. it up. <laughs> By the way, feel free to write us. Be aware that if you write us at either address, we reserve the right to read your email on the air unless you say otherwise. So, Blue Gal, how are those Internet Kitties doing this week? Oh, quiet! The Internet Kitties are streaming Downton Abbey. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2012, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Tall and tan and young, love, girl from Just play this in the loop, baby. Tall and tan and young and lovely, girl from Ipanema comes walking. This is what it sounds like at a John Huntsman rally. This.
deathly silence. <laughs> this awful, deathly silence. Uh, okay, I'm back. Hello, babe. I, I was just telling the, the empty air, so this is what it sounds like at, at a John Huntsman rally. 